This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Thanks for listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc on the road this morning, and I just started to try to record this episode. Unfortunately, I looked at my recorder because I knew my batteries were getting low, um, and then I looked before I got too far into it, and they, in fact, were dead. And my little thing was flashing at me um, that it, batteries were low. If you want to see what my, my you know, extremely technical podcasting setup is you can uh, go over to uh, Facebook and find uh, well actually she's officially a veterinarian now uh, Mariah from At That Vet Life uh, podcast and she had a an Instagram live and Zoom interview with me, and we talked about podcasting. So, if you want to see what my little recorder looks like, you can head over there and take a look. Um, pretty, pretty technical, and my uh, AAA batteries were just—I knew it was coming, so I had some extras in the truck. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm on the road. I got a, a, a bit of a drive this morning to a couple of different calls and. I got a little bit of time, but I didn't know what I was going to record about, so I asked Instagram this morning, and someone had the kind of fun suggestion of what, uh, like, a a vet perspective on different breeds of goats is, and that's something that I don't have to think too hard about or do a lot of research about. I can certainly give you my opinion on that, and I can probably talk about it for about 20-25 minutes. If I miss your breed, I'm sorry. I... You know, where I practice is a, a, you know, geographically, wherever you are, you're going to see more different kinds or, like, breed-specific of different animals. Like, I see a lot of Nigerian dwarf goats. I see a lot of Nubians. I see fewer of other breeds. Um, you know, I was brought some does out to Pennsylvania a couple years ago, and they have a lot of boar goats, and I don't see a lot of boar goats. Uh, it's just the kind of the way that it is. Uh, but I will talk about my experience with different breeds and what I think about as far as medical stuff for them or any other little tidbits that I happen to think of. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, thanks for finding me online at goatdoc.com or finding me and following on Instagram at goat underscore doc. If you want to follow on the Twitter, I'm at goat.cara on Twitter. And if you want to send me an email, you can shoot me an email at goat.cara at gmail.com. I've got to shout out some Patreon patrons here. And if you would like to join the Patreon patrons and getting shout outs and, uh, our, our small and growing group of podcast fans who think that what I'm doing as far as providing information to you guys is worth throwing a couple of bucks a month at, you can find the Patreon page at goat dot, or sorry, at patreon.com slash goat doc.
and you can go over there and check that out or if you are not feeling that and you want to do something else to support the podcast you can subscribe on your podcast player app of choice and I know Apple Podcasts has a pretty easy review system you just like touch the thing on your phone and give it some stars and maybe write a couple comments about what you think about the podcast and that helps other people find the podcast so if you can take a second and do that that is awesome so I think oh I gotta shout out my Patreon patrons so patron thank yous for my awesome Patreon patrons who are super patient with me uh, like figuring out how to use Patreon and figuring out how to do live streaming and things like that and we gotta talk guys about having like a zoom thing because I think I can record that too and then if you can't make it you can tune into it later but I will post on our Patreon group and uh, get your feedback uh, but anyway podcast shout outs thank you to Taylor Blake for supporting the podcast thank you Deborah Lucero Thank you, Patricia Otley at Dancing Gypsy Goats, Omar Santos, uh, Terry and Trish Jones, Jeanette Larson, Trisha Smith, and Susie Marco. You guys are all awesome. We, appre- we appreciate the support at the farm, and uh, it helps me to, like, your support at patreon.com helps me to do things like build a new website and... Uh, like pay for hosting for the podcast and these types of things so you guys we appreciate it thank you so much Um, and now I guess on with the show and we'll disclaim there's probably not going to be a lot of like specific vet information in this episode but this podcast is provided with the intent to educate and inform it is not a substitute for professional medical advice or veterinary care provided by your primary vet and I strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid VCPR veterinary and client patient relationship with your local vet goat breeds from the vet perspective so as I said I like geographically my perspective as a vet is going to be geographically kind of skewed because I see the goats that are in my area and geographically that's it's gonna depend on what what you see as a vet in different areas I've got a couple of things where like I see a big herd of goats I think they're 500 plus animals now um, and that has a lot more breed variation than probably I see on the road so that is uh, but that's a whole that's a whole episode on its own there talking about that herd um, because it's a it's an interesting those animals are um, part of a biotech uh, corporation and are producing biological products and it's a it's a super cool thing that they do and contributing to human health and these kinds of things and it's just a different a different dynamic but up up in my neck of the woods I see largely uh, Nigerian dwarf goats and 
like Nigerian dwarf goats, I should run my like practice uh, software. I probably can run some report and it'll tell me how, what breed of like how many of what breed of whatever I see somehow. I can, uh, it's probably a thing I can do. But uh, the I the, my gut feeling is that the the majority of my goat patients are Nigerian dwarf goats because they're very popular up here. Uh, they are they make good pets for people. Uh, some people, a lot of people like to show them. They're smaller. They're easier for kids to handle. Maybe. <laughs> and, um, they take up less space, maybe. People generally um, are less, maybe less intimidated by a smaller animal than a big old, you know, 200 plus pound Nubian doe or alpine doe. So they're very, Nigerian dwarf goats are very popular up here. Um, I see a lot of Nubians, see some alpines, see a good number of like mixed breed goats. Um, what else do I see for goats? Um, yeah, that's, that's probably the majority of, of the things. See fewer meat goats, unfortunately. I've got a friend from vet school that, uh, her mom raises boar goats and apparently very nice ones. We've talked about getting a buck from her to, um, kind of breed in some meat characteristics for our our animals because we have a lot of animals and a lot of them go in the freezer um but anyway that's another discussion so back to nigerian dwarf goats what do i think about them um you know they're small they're you know i think it's funny that nubians because obviously i raise nubians um that Nubians get like the the goat reputation of being loud drama queens of the goat world and that they never shut up and that they've got a lot to say but man those Nigerian dwarf goats like they also have a lot to say I will say that for sure um they're not one of the they have opinions about things and they will make them known I don't know that, um, I guess things I think about with them are like, they may tend to thinking about, uh, breeding, for example, I am not surprised when Nigerian dwarf does have high multiples. So quads or even quints, um, so that's to be considered when breeding and kidding. And if there's a dystocia that you know you may be dealing with like multiple multiple babies and not just two or maybe three like four or five is a lot of babies I don't know why it seems like maybe I'm wrong about this but my my more limited experience with sheep is that some of the like primitive breeds of sheep tend to be like smaller in stature but also tend to have like not uncommonly have quads and quints I don't know why but um yeah, so lots of babies. Um, the, you know, the, I they like their routines. I don't know that I see any incident of um, certain things more often in like a, a milking herd or a show herd of Nigerian dwarf goats than I do in another herd or like another breed. Uh, what I do see commonly, unfortunately, is that like 
uh, because people get them as pets and because people often get weathers as pets, uh, they, I unfortunately see probably a higher incidence of urinary calculi and urinary obstruction in Nigerian dwarf goats and sometimes really young Nigerian dwarf goats. And it's a super bummer. Um, I, I could be because of their anatomy. They're just small. Their urethra is smaller. Could be because they're pets and people want to feed them grain and treats because they're pets and they have a pet relationship with them rather than like a working livestock re- relationship with them. Um, but I've seen animals as young as like four or five months old have urinary calculi and that's a bummer. I, in my experience, in my geographic area, uh, Nigerian dwarf goats are generally overrepresented for urinary calculi. And go listen to whatever episode that was. It was back a ways about uh, UC and uh, prevention and cause and what you can do to try to prevent that in your weathers if you have pet weathers and it's a risk like a risk factor something to be considered for all breeds of weathers not just nigerian dwarf goats but in my experience in my geographic location they are overrepresented for urinary calculi and urinary obstruction which is kind of a bummer to to end on here but uh they're fun little critters yeah, it's easy. I te- they tend to be more rotund. Again, maybe that's the pet thing. I don't know. They tend to be a little bit over-conditioned in my experience. So, yeah, uh, Nigerian dwarf goats. Um, let's talk about La Manchas. I don't see a ton of La Manchas. Um, I see them in the biotech herd that I mentioned. There's a pretty good number of them in that herd. Um, they're funny, man. I swear. So the, the animals in this biotech herd are not, they're grouped by, um, what they're doing and like what kind of products they're being asked to make and how like their, their herd dynamic, who they get along with. Um, if they have any medical issues they're dealing with, like those kinds of things that where they're not definitely not grouped by breed at all. Um, if they're being quarantined, if they're a new animal coming in, these kinds of things are what they're, um, how they would be spaced out in the big farm there but uh the so there's la manchas kind of all over the place mixed in with other with other breeds and man i swear it's the la manchas with the exception of like this group of like young they're about a year and a half old nubians now the La Manchas are always up in your business. Um, if you raise La Manchas, and, and this is a, a common thing for La Manchas, I don't know. I've always, I always thought before I started working with this herd that, like, they, um, they were more of a independent type breed, I guess. And in my experience, the La Manchas want to, they're always the ones that come over and get up in your business. Like they come over and they rub their heads on me and they pull on my coveralls and pull on my boots. And if I've got stuff in my pockets, they're going to find it. Um, they're just always up in your business and like the other breeds seem to not do that quite as much. And maybe, maybe they do it 
the other breeds like are less interested in me or like more wary of me because they're like who's that person and the La Manchos are just a little bit more like inclined to be more bold around new people I don't know but it seems like they're always up in my my stuff when I'm trying to walk through the herd and look at somebody else um, I also love how they all have a lot of them have like glorious beards they have like these long silky beards um, what else about La Manchas? Uh, they tend to have like gross ears and <laughs> it sounds funny. You'd think that if they, you know, something without a pinna, so the pinna is the flappy part of the ear. Um, so like Nubians have a gigantic pinna and Alpines have like a medium sized pinna. Alpines and Nigerian dwarf goats do. And then like... La Manchas really don't have a pinna. Like, their their ear canal is essentially open to the world. And they get really nasty ear infections. Um, and it's super gross. It's like a dog with... Um, with otitis so otitis just means uh inflammation of the ear and or an ear infection and uh it's hard in in goats too because they're a food animal and you get into that area of like well what kind of products can i use on this animal to try to clear up this ear infection and you're limited because of antibiotic use in a food producing animal the and sometimes, you know, like if you culture these organisms in the ear, it's often like the same stuff that is in dog ears, like like nasty stuff like Pseudomonas and uh, Malassezia, which is yeast, uh, can be very frustrating. I don't know in La Mancha's if it's like... Um, if, the, like in dogs, for example, I expect dogs that have recurrent or chronic otitis that they have some kind of underlying allergy to something in the environment. But uh, I don't know if that's the case for goats. It doesn't... I mean, it kind of stands to reason, but then it also stands to reason that, like, if you have an ear infection and you're really limited on what you can use in order to clear out that ear infection in terms of antimicrobial medications, then it's going to be hard to get that ear infection completely resolved. And then if you don't get the ear infection completely resolved, it's going to come back. Because if you didn't kill all the bugs, then... You know, the ones that are left are only going to grow stronger and they've seen what you've got for weapons and they're be like, here we come, we're back. So La Mancha's beards, ears, and rubbing their heads on me all the time when I'm trying to look at other goats. Uh, what other kinds of goats do I see? I see fewer, like I said, I see fewer alpines. Um, they tend to be less thrilled for me to handle them all of them in general um the the like privately owned ones the ones that i see in uh the like the big mixed herd that i work with they don't they're like a little more suspicious in general of me um yeah they're big they're a little quieter. They don't seem to have as much to say as your Nigerian dwarf goats or your Nubians. Um, I'd say that La Manchas maybe have less to say, too, than those other guys. Um, they also have glorious beards. 
I get like a little bit of jealousy about breeds that have glorious beards because I've got, like we had a couple of one of our older does who's going to retire after this year. She has like a little a little goatee. It's kind of funny. And we had one of our our does that passed away a year and a half ago or so she had a good beard but like Nubians don't tend to make really glorious beards so the the breeds that have glorious beards I'm kind of jealous of them it makes me want to just comb them and like braid them and stuff like that so alpines got that yeah and they tend to not like me to handle them as a vet but they're nice big goats um yeah uh who else do i see uh that same herd has some toggenbergs which are not the like not super common up here a little bit few and far between i think the only togs i see up here are actually in that herd Uh, they're kind of a cool goat like kind of a good size this particular group of goats tends to like they're kind of like hairy they have long hair um which is kind of cool um they also tend to be ones that kind of are more curious and come up and want to mess with what i'm what i've got going on um and it could be this particular group um in general like or this this particular group and not the like the breed in general but this particular group you know because they probably all came from the same farm and the same genetics um at one point but this particular group seems to have had like more dental issues and it could be just be because like the shape of their head um and how they chew and things like that if they're all related somehow uh but i've had to pull a few teeth on those guys but they seem to do really well once that's taken care of and i can't think of anything else unusual to, to think about with them um who else was i just thinking about overhalsies um i see there's some obies in that big herd i see some obies on the road uh they're kind of fun like it's funny because like devin really likes the nubians because of like just the variety and how they look you know you got brown ones you got black ones you got white ones you got gold ones you got moon spots you got like belts and white and all the you know lots of color variety in the nubians and he really likes that um but then at the same time he really likes um like animals to all look the same and be like monochromatic um so overhalsies are good for that um they're a nice goat too like they're kind of it's funny i've got these gigantic nubians and that's what we raise but uh like i kind of also like the ones that are a little less big like the overhalsies are kind of a nice size you know not so gigantic they tend to not say a lot they tend to be fairly well behaved um it's nice that you've got like pulled genetics in that breed so you can carefully try to have fewer babies to disbud and that's kind of nice um yeah they're they're good a good dairy breed chill not a ton of them up here a little bit of a, a genetic bottleneck um and I haven't, you know, I haven't looked at the semen catalog for the last little bit, um, but I feel like there's fewer frozen bucks available for, for that breed. I could be wrong, but, um, yeah. 
who else? I guess I will talk about Nubians, <laughs> saving them for last. Uh, you may, I'm, I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before. When Devin and I got our first goat, we were like, what kind of goat are we going to get? And we, we didn't know anything about goats. And we got, we're, we're on the way to the Freiburg Fair and we're like, we want the kind with the long ears and the big round nose. So we did, I don't even think we, I might probably Googled on the way up what kind of goat that was. We're like, great, Nubians, here we go. And, um, yeah, Nubians. They're big. They tend to be loud. Uh, they tend to be fairly personable. Um, I don't know if it's just because, like, we bottle raise all ours. And there's this group, like I said, in that big that big herd that I work with, there's a group, a couple of groups of kids. Well, they're not really kids now. They're all, like, a year plus old. And they... Um, they just like want to maul you when you get in the pen with them it's it's challenging to work there's one in particular weather who's just like i'm gonna jump on your head and like pull your hair and be super super obnoxious so that's fun um yeah nubians what as far as nubian stuff i don't know that i see nubian stuff in particular um things to think about for them uh genetically there is a genetic uh, mutation that is referred to as g6s uh, in nubians that can is to be watched out for when doing breeding considerations i'll do an episode on that i did some research on that when i was in vet school and i'll do a podcast episode on g6s at some point um the uh, dental stuff for Nubians because they can have they probably have a higher incidence of underbites than other breeds so they can have definitely have um, dental issues going on uh, usually the underbite doesn't like clinically affect them that much in my experience but it is like I guess you know it's, it's something that gets coded when you have a linear appraisal. Let's put it that way. Um, so it's not, it's not desirable. Like a correct bite is more desirable than an underbite unless you're Devin and then you want everything to have an underbite because he likes it. Um, they're good girls. I like them. They're big they have opinions. They can be stubborn. I think probably that applies to all goats now, though. Uh, I don't feel like I see an incidence of, like, stuff in Nubians more than I see in other breeds. But, yeah, I feel like uh, I, that was kind of a, a fun, fluffy thing to talk about. And I may think of other thoughts, but I think... And I'm sorry, like, I don't see I don't see a lot of fiber breeds. Um, I, like, my limited experience with Angora goats is that they, they don't want anything to do with me when I'm on the farm. Because they, you know, they're not like dairy breeds where they're handled twice a day. I'm sure there's people out there with Angora goats that are going to be like, my Angora goats are very, very nice. And it's probably just that they don't like me because they smell the vet on me when I'm there. Um, and if I'm there, it's probably because something bad is going to happen to them. Uh, and meat goats, boar goats, I see few of them. I think they're super cool. Um, the, they're just like little tanks. They're very, like... 
big and you know meaty looking and obviously like I'm probably partial to them because of that similar to Nubian look with the floppy ears and the big nose um, but I don't see a lot of them so as far as like personality and behavior I, I don't have a lot to, to add unfortunately um, but that's that's my kind of breed perspective as a, as a vet experience with them and I'm getting close to my first call which I'm running late to and I feel badly about it but yeah um, that is going to do it for the moment if you have questions or comments or ideas for me to things ideas for things for me to talk about on the next podcast episode send me an email goat.cara at gmail.com come say hi on instagram at go underscore doc and I will talk to you guys next time.